Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week we continue our series in the Gospel of John. Many have been confused by the statement that to see Jesus is to see the Father. Jesus is revealing God as well as being in the place of God. Here's Pastor Garrett. So those songs are great reminders in the first two in the during our offertory, the prelude, the reminder of our sufficiency in Jesus. And that's, that's what we've seen as, as we've looked at this uh, prologue. We'll call it those first 18 verses of John 1. They're an introduction into the greater themes, the bigger themes of who Jesus is, so that when we start seeing the claims of Jesus and the signs that point to who he is, we understand that it's in a, it's in a flow. They're not... They're not just thrown at us. They are, they are revelations of, of what and who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so John has made some very, uh, the apostle John has made some very uh, uh, powerful statements about Jesus in this prologue, starting with the very fact that he is God himself as the living word, that he was with God and he was God. And then as he came into the world, that's what he revealed was the very nature of God. And it, and it also then reminds us why this position that, that only a naturalist or humanistic viewpoint can explain Jesus because you'll miss him. And so John is going to make that clear as he, his, as he transitions out of the prologue into the ministry of John the Baptist and then the early ministry of Jesus. You're going to miss him if you think that there has to be only a natural explanation for what happens with, the, with, with not just the things that Jesus does, the miracles and those kinds of things, but who he is. Because there is no natural explanation it defies every natural explanation. And that's something that, that uh, John is going to say very, very emphatically as he finishes here, looking at verse 18. That's the last verse of the prologue, but it leads us into this, this uh, mission or the work of John the Baptist and the, the um, ministry of John the Baptist. So let's look together, and I've, had, I've been struggling this week with issues, as you can tell, in my voice. So if I lose my voice, first, I want to know who's praying that I lose my voice. Secondly, it may happen. So I assume no one is praying for that other than one that we know is always praying for that. But she, well, she counts, but right, Elizabeth? She knew immediately who I was talking about when I said that. She was like, yeah, yep. Nope, never would do that. So this verse is very, very instrumental and very important for us to look at as, we, as we've looked at these claims about Jesus as the, as the full revelation of God and, and the expression then of, of his humanity in that the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Very, very much Words of, of, of natural expression that he came and lived among his people. But said his own didn't receive him. They didn't understand what they were seeing. They rejected him. But to as many as did receive him, he gave them. This is this expression of grace. He gave them the right, the authority to become the children of God. To anyone who believes. 
And we'll see that repeated over and over again throughout the, the, the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus and, and words that are spoken. And, and so as, as this word became flesh, we have the combination of, of his divinity and his humanity, but all as an expression of the reality of who God is and his love for us and his design for us. So in verse 18, it says that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son. Um, who is himself God. I want to just say at the outset that the, the NIV is trying to give an explanation here in their translation of, of a very, it, it's, it's a more condensed sentence than we have before us in the English. Because lit, quite literally it says that no one has ever seen God except this one and only God, who is God himself, who is Jesus, and is in this close relationship with the Father, living, it says, at the right hand of the Father, and that he has made him known. The reason this verse is important is because you do have these two uh, uh, parallel ideas, the one being how unique Jesus is, that he is the revelation of God, and yet God himself. And so you have this always running concurrently the idea that Jesus represents something that, that he's pointing to, and yet what he's pointing to, he also occupies. We see this in places, and, and again, I, I'm not going to try to tell you that I understand how that happens. We're going to see it again over and over again. It's, you know, Jesus points to the way, but what does he say? I am the way. Jesus will give life, but yet he is the life. Jesus will, he, he comes as a revelation of light, but he himself is the light. He speaks truth, yet he is the truth. He will use bread to feed thousands, yet he himself is the bread of life. He will raise the dead and then say, I am the resurrection and the life. He will use words to, to communicate, and yet he is the living word of God. So you have these expressions all the way through, the fullest being this, that he is revealing God, and yet he is in that place of God. And John is trying to capture this without all the details of explanation, which of course leaves us wanting more but it becomes very important for us to see that John here is not trying to say, I understand how he does this. I'm just saying it's true of him. And if you want only a natural, a, a, a humanistic approach or explanation of this, you're, you're never going to get there. This is a God thing revealing this person of God in the Son of God, and he uniquely stands in that place. And because he is uniquely that person, you have this, this dilemma for people who just, they want to know this, know God, and they'll talk about wanting to believe in him, but somehow will want to circumvent or subvert the, the truth about Jesus, get around him. They'll want to not see that it's revealed in Jesus alone. Peter said this. 
in his letter when he said things like, it's through Jesus that you've come to believe in God, that, that it's the only way. It's, it's how we are brought into relationship, and, and only Jesus could do this because he has this closest relationship with him. So these two things are brought out in this expression of the closest possible relationship to the Father, being in the bosom of the Father, literally, at the right. You'll see some translations saying at the right hand of the Father. But then that he explains God. He is the exegesis of God. The only place in the Gospel of John that this word is used this word has made him known. That's one word from, from a pastoral training background. We, we use the word exegesis all the time. It means to, to explain and to read out of that passage. Let the passage speak, and then you do your best to explain, to interpret, to open it up. That's the word that is used here to explain who Jesus is. As a revelation of the Father, he opens up who the Father is. He explains him. He is the narrative of the Father. Not, not words from the Father to him that in Jesus you have the explanation of God. I, and I want to tell you, even as I hear myself say it, I'm still still learning to wrap my arms around it. And, and like we said last week, be careful. Don't let what your brain doesn't understand keep you from coming to the things that you can accept. Comprehension does, or, or lack of comprehension does not mean that I create distance. It means that this God who loves me is spanning that distance and giving me the opportunity to receive and accept that truth. And so in this discussion and seeing these two, two parallel ideas that he is one with God and with him and in the closest relationship and is himself the explanation of God, they, they come together and they blend. So the rev, he, you can say of Jesus that he is the exegesis of God if you want. He is the narration of all that God is. And Paul says this in many different ways as well. This similar passage, in, and, and I want us to compare the two places that John here, writing here in the gospel and then writing in his letter in 1 John, uses that phrase that no one has ever seen God. Here, he says, look at Jesus. If you want to see who the Father is, look to Jesus. And we know later Jesus is going to say that of himself. When Philip says, you know, all we want to do is see the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know that to see me is to see the Father? Well, in 1 John, Jesus, or John the Apostle, the same man who wrote the gospel, is writing here and he says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I wanted to compare here just, for emphasis, because John here, as he writes to believers, the first is introducing Jesus. When you see him, you see all that the Father is. And what's the main expression of God through Jesus Christ? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, unique son, the same word that we had back in that verse 18, so that all who receive him will not perish but have everlasting life. The main expression of God's, uh, of who God is through Jesus is his love expressed through him. Not, again, as we define, but as God defines. Now, when you see John writing to believers after Jesus has, has, has well, this comes on after those verses that say, and this is love, God has sent, given his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says, now, if we love one another, look at the implication. If you've ne- no one has seen God, but when we love one another, who Jesus is, expressed in our love for one another, becomes a revelation of who God is. So who God is expressed fully and completely in Jesus is to be a full expression of our love for one another. It's true, no one has ever seen God, but God's on display. God's on display in His love through Christ and His love through us. As we go into this ministry of of John the Baptist, Again, we immediately see that the, the writer here is very concerned, and John is concerned about saying, listen, I, I'm not here to say it's me. And by the way, this would be a good time if we were going to establish some kind of, uh, of religion based on, on, on things that we manufacture. This would be a good place to do it, but he doesn't do that. John the Baptist, it was his testimony that when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levite, the, the religious leaders of the day, to ask him who he was, this is so interesting, this little sentence here. Literally, it says, he confessed. He did not fail to confess. He confessed, or but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So this negative, he did not fail to confess, is surrounded by, yes, he did say this. This is so unique, and and again, it's very hard to capture in English, and some of your Bibles, some of your translations will. The New American Standard retains that that structure. I think King James and others. Thanks, Laura. (laughs) That's, That's my daughter. She said, I only gave you half a cup so you won't spill it. Oh, Christmas is coming. (laughs) Not for you. (laughs) Yeah, she knows better. So this, you know, you have to wonder, and all we can do is speculate, because why he emphatically said, you know, this is what John the Baptist said. He definitely did not in any way claim this. He confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the anointed one of God. And keep in mind this word in the Greek is Christos, Messiah. It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Mashiach, which means anointed one. And in this context and in any discussion of the Messiah, it was thought to be the anointed one of God. There were other places where people were anointed but this word was, came to be an exclusive expression of the one sent by God to fulfill the promises of God, and he was called the anointed one. And so they knew what they were asking, and John knew what he was, was sharing with them. I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they thought. 
are you Elijah? Because there was this promise that the, that, that the one like Elijah would come before the great uh, and terrible day of the Lord. So they were expecting this, this one who would be a precursor to the coming of Messiah. And he says, no, I'm not him. And you will find places in Matthew and, and Mark where Jesus identified John the Baptist as, as this Elijah figure. But, but he's saying, no, that's, that's not me. So it's, it's not a contradiction, but it is John the Baptist trying to say, no, I, I know who I am. And he says, are you the prophet? This is, comes from Deuteronomy 18, 18, where there was one like the prophet, a one would come like Moses who would be a prophet, also being a forerunner of the coming Messiah. And he says, no. There's a lot of speculation about why John the Baptist is even out in this wilderness doing the things he's doing and baptizing. There's one theory that he was a member of a, 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 some Jews that were out there. They called themselves uh, um, the Essenes. They were from Qumran. They're the ones who hid away the Dead Sea Scrolls that we found back in 1947, 1948. That he was part of that community because of the way he dressed and living in the wilderness. There's also the, the, the theory that, remember, when King Herod sent... Um, his emissaries to kill all the babies two years and under. Everybody knew about the birth of John the Baptist. We have it recorded in Luke. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. We know that Zechariah was of the, the Levite priesthood, and Abijah was his, was his clan, so there was a certain time that he was going to be in the temple doing the things he was doing, and it was there that Gabriel came and said, hey, you're going to be a daddy. Not quite like that, but that's what he was saying to him. He said, Gabriel said, you're going to be a father, and you're going to be a father to a very important son. Zechariah couldn't believe it. That's when he, remember, was made deaf and dumb for the remainder of, of the time that Elizabeth was pregnant. And the, only, and he, the first words he spoke at the, at the birth of John was when he said, he shall be called John, which wasn't a family name but it was the name that was given by Gabriel. So everybody knew about these circumstances. And so many feel that John the Baptist was whisked away at that time and was living just to be safe and to be alive. But one thing we know for sure is that he's not doing what he should be doing as the son of a priest. The priesthood was handed down to those who were born along that line. John should have been a priest in the temple doing, fulfilling those services and those duties, but he was not. And we're not told exactly why he wasn't doing that, but what we are told is why he was out there preaching. And he understood this new role. He understood the, the, the purpose that he had been given and the job, the task he had been given the ministry, if you will, and that is to prepare the way. And so he says, they say, well, then who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replies from Isaiah 40, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Very interesting quote. 
Very interesting quote. And, and it was one that was applied to the work of Elijah and making the path straight. And John the Baptist saw this as an expression of his ministry, of who he was. Tell us, you tell us who you are. He says, this is who I am. I'm the voice. Now, again, you have to find that ironic, right? Who's Jesus? He's the word, the logos. What I would suggest is that John understood that while he was the, 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 the final, the, the, the ex exclamation and the proclamation of who God is, there are voices that must align with that truth. That John the Baptist was a voice aligning himself with the fact that Jesus was the Logos and he was part of this preparation so that when Jesus came and when Jesus declared his purpose, he was pointing to him. And we will see that that happens. I think, I think I'm going to have to stop there. In spite of the lozenge, and I haven't taken a drink of water yet because that's kind of gross when you have a, a lozenge in your mouth. But anyway, I'm going to stop right there. And I want us, though, to, to create this flow into the... the I, I want you to go all, all the way to the place where you see Jesus speaking his first words. He's not spoken a word yet. That's going to come later. And you know what his first words are going to be? To these disciples of John the Baptist who follow him, he's going to turn around and he's going to say, what do you want? The very first words of Jesus are, what do you want? I've never seen that before now. They're, they're not overwhelming. They're not, they're not profound in the sense that they just jump off the page and you go, Wow. But when you start thinking about people who are looking at him and searching for him, and he, he says, what do you want? It says then that they want to see him and he, see where he's staying. He said, well, come with me. And I think it becomes more profound because that's all that Jesus is, is asking of anyone. What do you want? Do you want what God has to offer, or are you wanting something else? Do you really want to see what it means to know me? The invitation is, will you follow Jesus? That's where John the Baptist is going to be pointing, even his own disciples. There's one who comes after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And when he sees them the next day, you're going to see this daily progression one day, and then it'll say the next day, and the next day, through an entire week. And when Jesus shows up and he says, this is the one I was talking about, behold the Lamb of God. There's going to be a whole, this, this whole expansion. And how, you say, well, how can you get bigger than than?" Jesus being the full declaration of who God is, because now you're going to see the way he defines this relationship and intimacy. So God is not just about saying, I want you to see the big picture. He's going to say, I want you to see the details of my love for you. And if you don't see them through Jesus, you're not going to see me at all. And so when Jesus is introduced as the Lamb of God, 
you're, you're pointing to this whole backdrop of truth about God's love and relationship and the desire for people to know him and live in that love so that when John the Baptist points to him, it's the only place where that can be known. And, and so I ask you again, are you going to take God at his word? And if you've struggled with that, maybe you've not, maybe you've never just said, you know, I believe Jesus is this full expression of God's love, that life is through him alone, that he is the bread of life, that he alone can forgive my sins. But when I believe him, God receives me. He gives me the right to be his child. If you've never made that confession of faith, what do you want? And what are you waiting for? We've just seen the beginning, but it, it only falls in line with everything that we've always talked about. Either you have life through the shed blood of Jesus and, and the Son of God is the fullness of, uh, of that offer of life, or you don't have life at all. And it's very simple. Simple in the sense that you just agree with God and say, yes, I need your forgiveness. You've provided it. I will accept Jesus as your Savior for me, as my Savior to be with you. If you've never said that, then I invite you today to say that. Those disciples that followed Jesus, he didn't say, you need to go clean some things up first. He said, come with me, see who I am. And that's my challenge to you. Go with Jesus, see who he is. At the bottom of our bulletins every week we have, if you need to make that your prayer, there's a prayer of confession there that I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I invite you to look at that. And if you're not sure if you've ever done that, and I invite you to do that today. And then just to, to, to come and to tell me and say, yes, this is my prayer. I want to accept this Jesus. I don't understand how he does this, but I believe that God does. And so I want to live in the power of his love for me. I'm not going to beat you over the head anymore. But that's your invitation this morning. Just as I am, without one plea, he'll receive you as you are, and he gives you the right to be his. Accept the forgiveness for your sins. Know that he's nuts about you, and that all he asks you to do is say yes. I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. If you have made that decision for Christ, if you know that that's what shapes you, defines you, and that's your identity, then I invite you to renew that commitment today and to still ask, hear the question, what do you want? Where do you want to be? I read a story this week that and, and I, I need to confirm this yet, it was a new story, but that the largest growing Christian church in the world. You want to guess where it is? 
Did you see this news story? Kenny's stealing my thunder. It's in Iran. It's in Iran. It's being led by women who have come to know Jesus because they understand that the way that, that Sharia law says they're to be treated isn't. But it's Christianity that says you're loved, you have value, Christ died for you, and you don't have to do anything but accept him. And so they've come to know the Lord, and then you know what they do? They pray. And God is adding to their number. And they realize what this means. They know what's at stake every day. But when asked, what do you want? They wanted to be his. Father, we come to you yielded, surrendered, because there is, there is nothing we can bring to make this happen. We have to rely on your love, that it's Jesus full of grace and truth through whom we have life, through whom we are loved. And Father, I pray that for maybe if there's some struggling with that notion of, of the power and extent of your love right now, just speak to those depths, that you don't ask us to understand it, you ask us to accept it. Because I, I, don't, I don't know why you love me so much. I may never be able to figure that out. But your love goes beyond what I can understand. And your word speaks into life that which was dead, and that, that word is Jesus. And I thank you for the life you have given. And for those that are struggling, Father, I pray that you would break down every barrier, every wall in the name of Jesus. And we're going to give you all the praise, all the glory. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the life that you give. We sure do love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.